Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, and welcome to another special bonus episode of The New Abnormal. We thank you so much for being here. This week, we have Washington Post opinion columnist Karen Atia. Welcome to The New Abnormal, Karen. Hi. Thanks for having me. We're very excited to have you. I want to talk to you. You're you're an opinion writer, but you're also... Did you start as an editor? I did. I Well, I mean, if we want to take it all the way back, I started as a a producer, and I basically was, like, trying to help the post be a little more online and digital. So doing a lot of Facebook and Twitter and then moved to being an editor um, and editing, uh, starting the global opinion section. And then, um, yeah, this year became a columnist as of June. So I want to talk to you about this column you just wrote because you really are on the ground. You're both in D.C. and Texas. And Texas has become ground zero for everything. Dysfunctional, sorry. Talk to me about your piece because it's really, I think it's really important what you just wrote about. Yeah, sure. Um, So for a slight context, as you said, I mean, I was in D.C., um, and then the pandemic brought me um, to Texas, which is actually my home state. Uh, so I grew up in I grew up in Dallas, in a suburb of Dallas. So in the last year, basically, I have been brought uh, just to be you know closer to family, but I have been brought to um, Texas, which is becoming this battleground for all the things in American society, culture wars, politics. So abortion, immigration, voting rights. So this latest column I did on on Texas, and I titled it, you know, Who's Going to Save Texas Women and Girls, was about um, the Senate Bill 8, right, which basically, again, has been misleadingly named as the quote-unquote heartbeat bill. But what it does, and I'm sure your listeners know, what it effectively does is bans uh, abortions of embryos after six weeks. Yeah. And um, and what is extra crazy about it, what I'm I'm like to call those sort of vigilante politics right. of it all, is that it empowers, bounty. yeah, it empowers, it empowers people to sue anyone who quote unquote aids and abets an abortion for uh, for up to $10,000. And that person doesn't even have to live in Texas, doesn't even have to know the individual. It really is just uh, this feeling that you could be sued by anyone. So of course, this is really just enacted to a uh, fear. And so we know that the Supreme Court basically said, well, because the state's not enforcing this, we can see it's unconstitutional, it's, it's problematic, but they let it pass, right? So Yeah. I saw that basically passing the law closed 50 percent of the abortion clinics in Texas. Yeah. And already um, I've seen reporting saying that people are really afraid to even call in to to pledge support, things like that. We have I mean, ultimately what this law is about, right, is about the intimidation, is about people 
and abortion providers, people, not only the people who want to get abortions, the women um, and the people who want to get abortions, but their allies, their supporters, the men and the friends in their lives. I mean, there was a website, right, set up to basically be able to anonymously report people. And in my in my column, I guess what I I know that non-Texans saw this pass. I mean, this has been on the books for a while, right? Yeah. So like to a certain extent, there is a, a sense here in Texas that it's like, we saw this coming. Everybody's shocked. Everybody's dismayed. Everybody like this, the Republicans, the evangelicals, the, the right to life groups have been saying, at least since I was a child, that this is what they wanted to do. They wanted to end abortion. Right. And so now it's like this is how do you save women and girls, this is not just a political issue, but what they're creating is a, is a culture of fear, is an atmosphere of fear, is we're already seeing, right, people are, are just saying, well, okay, fine, we will, as a business, we will uh, let you go out of state, we will relocate employees yeah. out of the Salesforce uh, was saying, yeah, but but ultimately, it's it feels right now like a quite dire situation. Um, we know that a number of most of the women, almost uh, half of the women who get abortions are at the poverty line or below. Right. Yeah. And so this is affecting poor women, women of color, immigrants, uh, the ones who aren't able um, often to to get the help that they need. Because, again, the, the six week mark. Right. Most women don't even know that they're pregnant. And by the time that you pulled your resources together, cash together, it's already too late. So right. this is yeah. really something that is quite, it's odious for all women, but quite odious, I think, for for poor women. No, I always say this is not going to affect affluent women in blue states. This is about targeting poor women in red states, you know. Absolutely, which is why I said in the column, you know, it's it's nice and, and great that uh, um, Match.com, the CEO of Match.com and, and Bumble.com, you know, to dating apps that are women-led businesses right. based here in Texas. It's it's it, They made a statement and, and they said that they would um, provide relief funds for their employees and who wish to go out of state to, to get this care. The thing is, most women don't have the privilege and opportunity right. to work for, for companies like that. And frankly, um, it's telling that it's women-led companies here that have been the most outspoken uh, so far. I'm actually quite we should all be really alarmed and quite dismayed at a year of businesses saying they wanted to stand for social justice and equality. They've been really silent about yeah. this. Yeah, that was that actually was what I was going to ask you. I'm really surprised at how few companies have said anything about this law, which puts really a bullseye on women. Mm, well... I mean, <laughs> we're seeing the depths of, of really, I mean, again, back back to the point that there are so, first of all, there's so few companies that are led by women. I mean, this is this is a very um, uh, obviously an issue that that, yes, affects women, but also, <laughs> I mean, gosh, we can talk about probably the men who got to rise to become CEOs because right. perhaps the women in their lives were able to make choices about their own bodies and their own health and their own lives, which <laughs> relieved the men from, from having to take, uh, take responsibility for that. But that's for another time. But it's really striking. And I think there, there needs to be a lot more, a lot more digging into a, a number of these companies again, like 
from last year with whether it was Black Lives Matters or trans rights, the, the silence about women is really something to unpack. And I yeah. think that, I think it, honestly, it, it does reveal the depths of the patriarchy and misogyny in this country. And again, I think back to the fact that this in particular targets particularly um, vulnerable women already, again, women of color, Black women, it just, again, reveals just <laughs> how this country does not care about women's lives and, and, and health. So, yeah, for all the people who tend to say that, well, the businesses will step in, the private sector will regulate this. Mm, yeah. yeah. Pump the brakes on that. Not so <laughs> it's much. It's not happening. I think the Democrats fantasize that Texas will be like, in this case, like Kansas, where they'll enact so much shitty legislation that it will bite them in the ass. Do you, as someone who grew up in Texas and really knows what Texas looks like, are Democrats crazy? I mean, is do you think that's a possibility? I mean, nationwide Democrats are in such a fantasy bubble. It's just like, it's just like, <laughs> you know, Republicans are, are bringing like AK-47s and like machetes to the fight and like Democrats are bringing uh, lollipops. It's just, right. it's just... Right. I mean, and, and I hear this a lot. And again, you know, growing up here, I'm, I am, I'm, I'm young, but I'm old enough to remember the days of Ann Richards yes. and the days when things were normal. Um, yeah. I think what is happening here and what, I, what we're seeing here today, I mean, if you look at just the insanity coming from Greg Abbott, Kim Paxton, yeah. Um, and also people need to remember that, you know, for all the hoping and wishing, Texas is gerrymandered to, to death. Oh, like, yeah. they, right. So <laughs> I, I used to be a, a little more. Um, I mean, look, there are there are demographics changes. And yes, it is true that there are more immigrants, black and brown folk moving here from around the country, uh, you know, immigration. However, this does not automatically mean a win for Democrats. Certainly um, not. And I think what I saw or, or, or noticed during the last election was just like this sense that Democrats just the vote turnout was was fantastic, was amazing. But again, the outreach to particularly evangelicals, a lot of the demographic changes are perhaps more conservative than we think. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I just uh, Texas is going to take it's going to take a lot. We are effectively still a one party state. Yeah. Oh, what a that sucks. So, you know, you have a state where Louis Gohmert holds office like you're going to have, you, you got to have gerrymandering because that guy wouldn't get elected any other way. I mean, we've got Ted Cruz. Cancun <laughs> Cruz. I sat here during the winter storm. I lost power, water, heat, like. Yeah. And it's just, I think everyone who's just not in Texas is like, man, y'all's politicians are fucking insane. Like, surely they'll be voted out, but they withstand the challenges, right? And um, And again, with the voting, the Texas Senate Democrats who basically came back uh, from their from their protest, breaking quorum, came back. And now this legislation will pass or looks like it's going to make it harder for people in majority kind of Democratic districts to vote. Yeah, it's this is Texas is a picture of what happens when vigilante politics becomes a norm 
and when basically our systems are are used to subvert democracy. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a warning to everyone else what is possible when one party takes control and the other party tries to hold on and play nice. Yeah, certainly your power grid is really a warning about deregulation. Correct. Absolutely. And people are, st- and the fact that we are, even that we are sitting here um, and having to discuss, you know, issues of voting rights and all of these sort of culture war, GOP instigated culture war stuff instead of the fact that we Texans are sitting here half the summer, we were worried that our, our grids would fall apart, you know, and and half the winter. Well, yeah, half the winter. Again, people died during this. This is a life or death issue. We're in a pandemic, obviously, and we have leaders that are choosing to pick battles over mass mandates and vaccines and, and battling over that when we're, you know, being powered by this rickety power grid, right? And none of that was a priority during these legislative sessions. So it's really it's really quite frustrating. I personally have been looking up, like, cute, like, disaster prep kits. <laughs> and the, like, being in Texas has turned me into, like, a prepper. I'm like, do I need to, like, bury gold in my parents' backyard? Like, <laughs> I'm half kidding. But it's just like, wow. You came of age as an editor. You edited Jamal Khashoggi. Just talk to me for a minute about, you're writing a book about that? Yeah, correct. Yeah, um, probably um, a lot of people uh, will know me as... Uh, I was Jamal uh, Khashoggi's editor, the Saudi journalist that I worked with for a good part of the year until he was murdered in in 2018. Oh my, I can't really believe this, almost three years ago. Yeah, I mean, this, this, it's, it's profoundly, the whole experience, not just, not just the murder, but being behind the scenes and having to learn about you know, I, I I did the best I could to try to push for justice, try to push yeah. for awareness. I feel like I saw you every day on television being like, please, please, please hold the hold these people accountable. Exactly. And um I did the <laughs> I did the best I could or what I thought I could, but really I think in the end, how much really actually changed, right? Now so I'm yeah, so I've I've been writing a, a book about about the whole experience. And, and I think, as you said earlier, Molly, this, this hope, right, from particularly from Democrats that like, well, we'll just have a new administration. Um, if we just cycle the, the Trumpers out, like all this will be fixed and there'll be justice. And as we're sitting here today, that is, that is clearly not the case, right? So yeah, um, it's, it's something that's profoundly both strengthened, I think, my viewpoints about, about human rights and about people's need to be able to be free and, and express themselves, but also really how difficult it is to make change. So yeah, the anniversary of the murder will be in a few weeks on, on October 2nd. And it's it's still something that haunts me in many ways. But at the same time, yeah, at the end of the day, it, it was it's Jamal was a man who was also trying to do his best to make change. So I hope that, you know, in in the book, and and I have so much more to say about it all, I hope I can at least remind people that, like, he wasn't just a victim, he wasn't just a symbol, but he was a man trying to do his best in terrible circumstances, so. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, thank you. Please come back when the book comes out. Oh, please, yes, yes, I'd love to be back on. On that note, we'll wrap this episode of The New Abnormal from The Daily Beast. In future episodes, we'll be talking to smart folks from the Daily Beast and beyond from media, culture, 
politics, and science who will help us understand what's happening to our country and the world. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again on the next episode. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.